Welcome to the Fantasy Sports Collective Podcast. It's your host, J-Dub. Got a great show today for you. Got a guest. Crotch is joining the show. We're going to talk college realignment, and the economics of the TV contracts, and what's going on. We're going to just give the lay down. Crotch has some points about liability and concerns and just what schools will or won't pay. I think we both align on some of the stuff that's going to end up happening in the long run. I think this stuff's going to happen much faster, some of this transition, and we're, we're in for a lot more change than we've seen so far. We'll get to it on the flip side. Before I, I get there, though, I apologize in, in advance. This was a fun conversation that went into kind of almost more than an hour of content. So it's a little bit longer show than normal, but I think you're going to enjoy everything we discuss. Get it on the flip side. Bye-bye. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. Welcome, Mike, to the the podcast. Happy Thank you very you much. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. It's going to be fun. As I said in the preamble, we're going to talk about college realignment and what's happened and the sorry state of our favorite conference, or I guess the, I don't even know if it still exists anymore. And then we'll talk a little bit about NIL and some of the factors that have gone into it. So I'd love to kick it off though. You write this report, you go deep, you have self-interest. You were a student athlete yourself at a PAC 12 school. So you care deeply about a specific school, but I'd love to hear your take on just realignment, where we're at, what led to it. Sure. And I'd say first off, student athlete is a, is a stretch. I was a walk-on football player. So I basically had best seats in the house kind of a thing, but athlete was a stretch. Worked out with the team was great, but yeah. So anyways, but like in general, obviously we all know what's happened recently, but I think the best way to at least to ground the conversation moving forward is thinking about the conferences less in terms of like their names and more in terms of like that they are a a collection of assets from a media company, right? So instead of referring to the big 10, Let's just call that Fox North, right? Because Fox owns those assets and the way they, they think about each one of those schools is, is, is a media property. And when we talk about the SEC, we can just refer to that as ESPN South, right? Or ABC or however you want to refer to it. But basically that's ABC South. And when you start thinking about those conferences in that regard, and when we start talking about the future, because then we'll, we'll get into that at some point, but you can start gamifying out how each one of those larger media companies is going to think about their properties, what they want to add, like why this realignment has happened, why it's going to continue to happen, and really who's driving the conversations, right? But th those are obviously the two big boys. There's obviously smaller folks involved, NBC and CBS and the streamers. Apple obviously tried to get in on the Pac-12 stuff. Amazon has tried to get in, that kind of thing. But, but generally speaking, those are the two big behemoths that are driving a lot of this stuff and really manipulating a lot of the conference leadership in the in, in the back end and the back door to create the output that they want to have. So that's a context, right? What's happened, obviously, with the, the fall of the Pac-12 to the, the Pac is still alive. And I can actually give you a kind of a future prediction on, on how all of all fits together. But all is not lost in Oregon State and Washington State. They, they need to keep their programs afloat. Sounds like they will. But what they're going to be able to do with the downfall of the overall Pac-12, with basically the money that's um, going to be coming in from the NCAA, from the bowl alignment, from, from the bowl uh, parties, the NCAA attorney, like those different payouts, 
basically Oregon State and Washington State are going to have a kind of a treasure chest. They just need to hold together for another year for the Mountain West grant of rights to more or less expire. That allows them to essentially take on uh, a handful of teams from the Mountain West, cherry pick the ones that they want to have to be able to build out a bit of a conference. So rather than joining the Mountain West and then having to deal with like Wyoming and New Mexico, those aren't going to, those schools are not going to be able to carry a larger media deal, but other schools can, San Diego State, Colorado State, the Fresno State, maybe, San Jose State, maybe, Boise State, maybe, but they can actually create a, a, a conference. And so it's not, all hope is definitely not lost. It's not necessarily like a, one of the a Fox North or an SEC South or a, sorry, an ABC South, but it is a substantial conference. So I think like you're going to see that happening in the West, maybe a Tulane joins over there, that kind of thing. Then on the East, the opposite is going to happen, right? I think, right? Where with Stanford and Cal basically buying their way in and SMU buying their way into the ACC, I almost think that kind of jumped a step because basically I do think that Stanford and Cal are actually going to play Oregon State, Washington State again over the long term. I think that there's a lot of reasons for some of that stuff to, to come together. With the ACC, we all know that's very, uh, it's a house of cards, right? Yeah. In a way, right? Basically, they have a grant of rights that's going to expire in 2036. ESPN or ABC also owns those grant of rights, right? There's chatter, of course, that there's like the Magnificent Six or Eight of the of Florida State and Clemson and trying to get out of the grant of rights and darting over to the SEC. Small problem with that is that if ESPN is paying you 30 million bucks if you're Florida State to um, play games in the ACC, why are they going to pay you 50 million bucks to go play games in the SEC? Doesn't quite work. So I think that's also why they haven't been able to break that grant of rights um, because the uh, networks aren't helping them out with that because yeah. ESPN owns the rights. Yeah. Let's pause right there because right. I, I love, there's a good segue into the TV contract because I think this- Yeah, I'm rambling, the, but yeah, go for it. No, no, it was great. And I, I think it provides a really nice context of, of where things are at. But what I think the the part of the house of cards of this entire thing, in in my humble opinion, that not enough people are talking about, and I know you and I have gone back and forth about this a little bit over email and or text, but it's, and I like how you framed it, ESPN South, uh, Fox North, whatever, they own these things. But I think the underlying underpinning of this is the revenue that these TV networks are generating. And a lot of it's covered on not just the TV ads that everyone talks about, like the advertising revenue in this shows, but it's also this notion of carriage fees. And those carriage fees are basically, they keep upping them and that's, and they're using live sports as the proxy. As we're starting to see a lot, all the regional sports networks are going belly up because of these carriage fees are going away. ESPN's just had its worst earnings report ever. And now Bob Iger, the, the CEO of Disney is trying to figure out like, do I sell off? Do I spin it out? Do I partner with a streamer? There's a lot. And so I think the challenge I see in all this that no one's really talking about is these endless dollars and the reason why people are jumping to the Big Ten and the SEC and even the ACC, which has it pretty good because they've got a contract that goes way out at pretty good economics, but everyone's they're not good enough. The question I see is, I think some of these networks are essentially going to go away or they're going to actually be forced to, to lower those fees. So what happens in that world where the SEC is already topped out and there is no more money and the dollars... That, that, that the economics change. Like, how, how do you see that playing out in the next four to eight years as these contracts start coming up? ACC has the longest contract in 10 years out or 12 years out, but. Right, yeah, ACC is the longest. And I think that those, the well isn't necessarily going to run dry. 
Yes, the economics are strained. 100%. I agree with you on that one. But in terms of getting live eyeballs on, on live TV because of the advertising model, there's just not a lot of other options. And there, there just isn't. And I think actually college football is doing a relatively good job of actually increasing higher quality content, the, the quality of content or the quantity of quality content is what I'm trying to say with the college football playoff, you know, you're getting, now you're having 12 teams. It's not necessarily going to make the regular season less interesting. I think you're going to create more relevance in the back end of the season. I think you also, then they're going to be, because we all know that the NCAA doesn't have an overarching scheduler. It's readily apparent like Labor Day weekend. We all want to crack open a half a dozen beers and watch some games. And it's just like, garbage on TV. I don't know, whatever it is, UTEP versus USC. It's, I don't really, I'm not going to watch that. At least as you're consolidating the larger brands into these bigger conferences, you're going to get better matchups. So then instead of USC versus, and then we can play UTEP, but UTEP, you're going to get USC versus Michigan opening weekend. Now that's creating more money. That's creating more ad dollars. It's creating better content for us also. Um, so I don't necessarily think that it's like, tapped out from that regard, right? I do think they're going to be able to create some more revenue streams. And because it's just one of a handful of properties that's really valuable. And and sure, as you say, carriage fees are going away, are going away. And as well as like streamers are also under the gun as well. But I think that then when you're under duress like that, you're going to put your chips against the thing that are the most successful in college football is one of what a handful of live streaming options in the country. I think there's plenty of money, man. I really do. So but you don't think that people six, eight years from now are going to, you don't think the Foxes and the CBSs, which are under the gun financially, you think they'll continue to up the ante and continue to pay what they're paying for these rights? I think it's going to, I don't know that they're going to continue. It's not like they're going to jump from 50 to hundred million a year kind of a thing. I think to your point on that one, the call it the logarithmic increase of money coming in, isn't going to continue. Um, but it's also not going to go away either. I think that's where it's going to go. And I actually think that then that the, the there's going to be a hand, a couple of networks that are con continue to push. Tech has a ton of money too, right? So when you're talking about Apple is a $3 trillion company, right? These things are trillion dollar market caps. And I, I just think that those guys, as they get in and they're obviously putting in large dollar amounts around their streaming services, Amazon is Thursday night football. You don't think that they're going to want to have their own conference. It's just, you, you play that part out over time. I think there's going to be a lot of money available in there and they're just waiting there. Amazon's figuring out the production and like how the personalities that they need and the graphics and the whole bunch of stuff that they're doing on Thursday night football. But those learnings are going to be able to be applied to a bunch of different things. And and I think you're going to see Apple getting into the game. And, and I don't know that Netflix necessarily will. It is a different thing. But generally speaking, those streamers are going to have to build out their portfolios as well. So I just, I don't think the money's going away, man. There's big money in tech. How it's allocated yeah. is different, but yeah. Yeah. My only counter would be, I think the tech is smart money. As I've worked in tech. I've worked in media. I think sure. the challenge I see is I think these networks have thrown money around thinking like, there's a causation and, and direct correlation. And, yeah, yeah. and I, That's you said something really important, I think earlier that I didn't highlight, but I will now. It's all about high quality content. So do I think Michigan and USC are always in, in Notre Dame? Are they in demand and are they going to draw an audience and are they going to be valuable? hundred percent. Do I think that the big 12 teams that the remaining ones, not the Oklahoma, Texas is, but like Iowa state playing Oklahoma State, can they draw some audience? Yes. 
but are they going to be drawing the audience that the streamer wants? I don't know. And so I think it's interesting. I think these markets where they're big names, they have a lot of alumni, or they represent an like a, a region, I think they will be fine, right? Nebraska is probably always going to have some brand because it's a state and they have history. U UVA, UNC, like these are valuable properties. There's different levels of value, but I worry about the tier two because I think that just becomes, that's like, you could see five or 10 years from now. Actually, let's go to the next topic, which I think this ties into this, which is the NIL. Oh, sorry, go well, on. Yeah, what? sure. And when I think, when I think it bleeds in, NIL and the tier two kind of concept, right? Where I think we all understand who the tier one is, right? So I think it's really just those two, right? Fox North and ABC South. Tier two would be the ACC as it's currently constructed in the big 12. And I think they're, and they're very different on how, they're going to handle this, by the way, I think. it's You're still going to get big money going against the, those first two, right? The Big 12 is going to try to play catch up to feed their NIL, to feed, this is where I think all this money begins becoming even more relevant, right? But the Big 12 has very active alumni bases. That's, that's pretty obvious in terms of their money and the history, oil, SWC, all that kind of stuff, right? Yep. Um, and they are, they're more willing to raise NI, big NIL funds. And I think that they're going to be able to accent the fund, the NIL funds that the schools are going to be able to build. And those schools are going to build those NIL funds from the media dollars. Um, the ACC is a little bit different, right? The mix of schools there, there's those handful of schools that want to leave Florida States and Clemson's that may in a, in an NIL driven world where the media companies are paying schools and schools can then pay athletes directly. Those schools align a little bit more with the Michigans or the Texases of the world Whereas some of the other schools in the ACC, like Stanford and Cal that, and SMU that have come in, um, BC, Virginia, those types of schools, they're not necessarily, I don't think, um, predisposed to pay their athletes directly, either as contractors or, or as employees as a school. And, and I think that's where those schools, when there is whatever schism that happens in the ACC, and I think na nationwide, you're going to see that happening too. You might see some schools getting punted out, uh, like a Vanderbilt might get punted. And a school like that or Northwestern, they just can get kicked out of those schools because they're not necessarily carrying their weight at 50, 60 million a year on a media deal. And their administration might not necessarily want to pay their athletes directly. And so I think you're going to have a somewhat of a cultural shift in that tier two, where maybe those schools are a little bit better aligned with your Stanford's and BC's of the world. And that then those schools can come up with, okay, hey, we're not going to pay our athletes directly. They can still access their own NIL dollars. Our media deals are 30 million bucks a year. They're not 50, but we're still competing at a high level and we're eligible for the playoffs. And, and I think you're going to see that at that tier two level. But I think the, where we're going with NIL, and uh, which is where is is that's a big pivot point at a school level of, am I going to pay an athlete directly as an employee? Because now all of a sudden it's like, hold the phone, right? So we're doing salaries, we're doing bonuses, we're doing healthcare, we're doing legal fees. Like, wh wh where are we going? As you said, like, I was a student, let's put it quote athlete, but I blew up my hamstring and it's dude, you're off the team. I'm not getting healthcare. So you're on your own all of a sudden, right? And, and same thing. So like, where does that healthcare begin and end? Where's the liability begin and end? when you're paying somebody directly as a school. And I just think that your BCs and Northwesterns and Vandys and Stanford, like those smaller private schools that are competing at this level, I think it's a very different calculus because in those schools, risk 
is a really big deal. It's not always just about money. It is about risk and liability across the entire institution. And, and I don't know that they're really going to want to go there. Whereas, you know, Michigan or Texas or schools like where it's really built around the athletic programs, I think they, obviously they will. That's, I think how NIL, and I don't know necessarily what your direct question is around NIL, but I do think, no, I think how NIL can feed into this. Well, just so everyone who's listening knows, like NIL is a thing they get put in place, I think now two years ago, maybe three years ago, maybe it's the third full season. It's three. Yeah. yeah. And it essentially allows a student athlete finally to monetize their likeness, image, do endorsement deals. The, the current incarnation is that it's some third party, whether you're advertising at the local car dealership or Caleb Williams doing national commercials for State Farm, like that's all kosher. I think what we've heard come out this year with coaches directly saying it's basically they're paying players. It's literally coaches are now coming out and saying, oh, the, the top quarterback in the portal is going to be five or $6 million a year. So that's what we're going to have to pay. There's a report out today that Marvin Harrison Jr. has been offered a 15 or 20 or $25 million contract to play one more year at Ohio State. And that's more than he's going to make over the first four years of his NFL contract. And so I think it's shifted there. But let me go back to one thing you were talking about. I think it's interesting I 100% agree with your point on Michigan, Penn State, even USC, Texas, Alabama. I would push you. I, I'm curious your take on there's a lot of teams in the Big Ten and the SEC who I don't think have the audience. And when it actually comes down to brass tacks, I think there, I personally think the conferences are going to blow up because I think if I'm ESPN and I'm, and Alabama's like, I deserve $100 million a year, I think ESPN is going to be like, you know what? You do deserve $100 million a year. And I'm going to cut a deal with you. I'm going to cut a deal with Florida. I'm going to cut a deal with Michigan. I'm going to cut a deal with maybe Texas A&M and Georgia, because these are markets with enough audience and enough staying power and the content's good enough. But I don't want, I'm not paying a hundred for you, Kentucky. I'm not paying a hundred for Iowa. I'm not paying a hundred. And I think that's where we're headed because I think there are the properties that are really valuable. But I think this whole idea that I'm going to be as a conference and I'm going to get all these like tier two teams, it just doesn't make sense. And, and to your point about NIL, how many teams are actually going to be able to build the infrastructure to actually support the pro minor leagues of the NFL? Right. Right. So on the first point, so I agree that's the conversation, but I don't, I'll push back and saying that I don't think it's like a one or a zero where, Hey, we don't want to pay Indiana a hundred million bucks. So we're going to blow up the conference. I think actually what ends up happening is that there, there would end up being like, call it a baseline of everybody in the big 10 gets 50 million bucks a year, 40 million bucks a year. And that then you get additional money based on eyeballs. And you know, it's a, a, baby, a relatively simple algorithm around eyeballs and standings. And whereas standings are also going to impact eyeballs because you're going to get bigger games, that type of a thing. And I think at the end of the year, then somebody like a Michigan would get their hundred million bucks and Indiana is going to stay at that 40 or $50 million. And that's the way you're going to be able to distribute the money without blowing up the conference. And I think Indiana and Illinois would vote for something like that because yeah, we'd rather be in here making 40 or 50 and we're okay with as schools paying our players because, Hey, we've been in this conference for a while and this is where we want to be. And Michigan and Ohio state would vote for that as well, because obviously they're going to increase more money. And I think the break point on that is, is that some of the smaller private schools, that's where I go back to the NIL piece. Yeah. I don't think necessarily all the schools are going to want to operate the same way. I think that's the way the media deal can be constructed. But in terms of operating, like, again, paying players and not just, it's not just the check to the players, it's the associated liability and health benefits. Yep. Don't think every school is going to fall in line. I do think Indiana and Illinois would, 
in that, those examples, I don't think a Northwestern would. What about Rutgers, or, Maryland? Rutgers the, probably would because R Rutgers is the most over. So they, they spend the, the most out of balance athletic budget in the country significantly. And so I think that they would be more than happy to pay players, but it is the state college of New Jersey, but they, I think they'd be more than happy to do it and they'll figure it out. But Vandy, and then obviously Wake Forest is still in the ACC. But if you start thinking about like those schools, I think it's a little bit tougher to envision how they're really, what they really are going to do because it's because of what their businesses are like. The business of a state school is different. It's a state school. The business of Northwestern is just as much to do with their research and their medicine research and everything else as it does with their undergraduate program. Northwestern and Vanderbilt and Stanford, and those are brands um, that feed into their grad schools, their hospitals, like all these other things. I just don't know that the, the calculus for their board of trustees is going to basically equate to, sure, Let's pay Caleb Williams $6 million directly. I don't know how that really, that doesn't taste right. But the other ones, the big state schools, the old land grant schools, all those guys, for sure. You can totally see that happening. They're going to get their own state congresses to, to chip in. But anyways, that's just my, it's my take. I don't know yeah. if it's right. Well, but... It just, it feels like given what happened to the Pac-12 in the last 18 months, it feels to me like we are probably destined for a moment where all of the top 20 or 25 schools that are historically been good have the programs and ultimately the streamers and or the networks care about band together and create their own kind of like super conference. And then all the other sports probably go back to the regional alignments. So the Big Ten stays the Big Ten, but it's everything but football. That's how I see this ultimately playing out because I just I think the economics are I think that Indiana's of the world are going to get left behind as are like think, Iowa and they just don't have the economics to really compete. Uh, and I think the biggest thing is the TV networks won't want that content. They really want Indiana versus Iowa. So I hear you. I think that timeline though, it depends what the timeline is. I think when you teed up the question, you're thinking four to 10 years of thing. So I agree with you. I think it's a time horizon thing. I think over the next four to 10 years, call it the 10 years, they see, I, that'd be a hard one for me to, and, and to, to, to see that they're really going that far. I think if you're taking it out, maybe over the next grant of rights and you're on the 20 to 30 year horizon, we're really playing this thing out. Yeah, I can hear you on that one. I just think that's, it's a tough pill to swallow and it's not like everybody's going to just fall in line. You've got there's 60, 70 programs involved in here. Some of them think they're bigger than they really are. But I just, I just, it's going to be hard for, to see how that's really going to work. I, I don't, don't you think the NIL though is forcing the issue? If you I read do. the, if you read the I think, details. I think it's forcing the, the conversation. Yeah. 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 If you read the details of the proposal they put forth, it actually is a provision in there that basically football programs get elevated and they're outside of the realm of the they, they were careful enough to say they wouldn't be subject to Title IX, but they basically were like, they're going to be a separate entity. And I think to your point, there, it's obvious that the Cal, Stanford's, Northwesterns, that even the Dukes, they're probably going to wholly opt out because this is this is no longer a higher education institute. Anyone who's going to be part of this is we don't respect anymore. That's one thing. Put that aside. That's my opinion, but I think that's ultimately how, they won't say that publicly, but that's ultimately what's going to happen. But I think there's going to be a lot of organizations that are just like, the grant, the right media rights will be a big share of what they pay out the players. And so if you're not able to command the highest amount, you're not going to compete because you're at some point boosters, they'll pay a lot. If I'm a billionaire and I don't really care and I really want my team to be great, like I'll keep funding. But at a certain point, this is just money going down like a drain. 
it's not like I'm getting money back. I don't own it. I don't own a stake in that in institution where I'm building value in something that I own a percentage of. And so there is a limit here. And I think the teams that are generating hundred million a year in media rights and can sell out their stadiums, like they're going to be able to contribute a lot more to NIL because it feeds the beast, right? Feeds the, the value chain and teams Vanderbilt or Duke that have smaller stadiums or don't have the kind of alumni, they're just going to fall off. And this is all going to happen the next two to three seasons, you're going to see like a pretty big, the disparity is going to grow rapidly in the Big Ten, ACC, and, and SEC. So I, I don't know. It just seems to me it's so obvious that there's going to be, it's like pro football. There's 32 teams. My sense is there's probably going to be like 40 schools that really are like, yeah, we're going to play in the big leagues and we're willing to put forth a 40, 50, 60 million dollar a year payroll. And but who knows? It's no, no, I, I think it is like that 45. And that's why I think, and they're more or less all in Fox North and ABC South. With Florida State and Clemson, there's a handful, yeah. but there's less than 10 properties that aren't in those two conferences starting in 2024 that would fall under that bucket. And, but I agree with you. I think like, overall, I agree with you. I think that is where we're headed. I just think that there's going to be still some semblance of ACC that, as I said earlier in like our opening ramble, that you know the pack is still going to be around. There, there's probably going to be, I would imagine, some alignment between that that the new pack and three quarters of the ACC schools that are left behind that are going to compete around the same sort of rule set that's around NIL. That to your point, they're not commanding a hundred million bucks and they're not paying their payers directly. And the Big Twelve is. They're not going to get that hundred million bucks either. They might pay more at a conference level because their alumni bases are just going to pay more. But and I still think so. I, I think you're going to you're going to end up in that kind of that world where there is a, a clear tier two. But I still think those schools are going to be eligible in a way for those that playoff system. They're still going to try to keep that together where it's not like a, a closed group yeah. um, of those forty schools. But I I think you put it spot on. I think it's about forty schools, give or take, that are going to be in that bucket of we're we're worth a certain amount of money. There's going to be some sort of way we're going to distribute those dollars. We're all worth at least forty million bucks a year. The best of us are going to make a hundred, and then we're going to be able to distribute money directly to our players. That's like that bucket. Yeah, and they'd I be think very, they'd be very smart to take the English soccer system and do relegation because it would create a lot of excitement even in the tier two like if you're really good people would get a ton of enthusiasm oh i'm going to move up to tier one but i think that would be really exciting and actually create more value for the tier three and fours that today or maybe they're making more money today but in the future they're not going to but it could know. be the obviously the issue with that is like it becomes like a scheduling regional thing you're these still are collegiate athletic departments like if you're re relying on something like a two-lane to try to move its way up. And all of a sudden it's playing a national schedule just because they had a really good team last year. And but Ty J Spears graduated and but now all of a sudden they're playing a national schedule and they don't even have the athletic department budget to, to fund eight charters. Yeah. I hear you in a perfect world and there's going to be some trade-offs around it. This is, it is a semi-pro environment and the NFL, all that kind of stuff. I don't think I, it's even semi-pro anymore though. I think it's for the big programs. Like it's very eye-opening to hear the coaches being like, 
do we want to get this quarterback? Yeah, but it's going to be $6 million salary, basically. But it's not even semi-pronoun. And I think it's fascinating, quite frankly. I think it was you who might have even mentioned this on that text thread. Trayvon Henderson is way better off taking a 5 or $6 million deal to stay with Ohio State for one yes. year. I know they were saying $25 million, but I, that's clearly not yeah, right. Yeah, but, but he's way better off taking five right way now. Way better. He's not going to make $6 million in his NFL career, most likely. He has to be a superstar to blow through that. And so to guarantee right. him one year... It's a no-brainer. You take that and run. And so it's really cool to see that these guys can now make money that's life-changing for them by because they are creating a lot of value at the college level. Like I love that part of this, but it's a but I also think there's a limit to this. And I think like there needs to be some guardrails so that the schools like in Alabama, where it is basically just a football program and colleges like secondary can do this. And then schools like Vanderbilt don't, they're not like, oh, we need to sacrifice everything that we're all about to compete with Alabama. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I, I think like the dynamics of it over time, I mean, Travion should, there's a bunch of, he should totally stay if he's going to get that kind of coin, but somebody like Caleb should definitely go regardless of what he even gets in college, because the really big money is year five and year six in the NFL. And so you, it's not like the, the clock starts now with if you, I mean, the, the clock starts when you go into the league, right? So like you have to get to the league. So like those top guys, but then, but I, I agree with you. I think it, it is great to a certain degree. I think some of the guardrails you should, I really think you should only be able to transfer once, maybe twice a thing, but you're going to start seeing like the Sam Hartman going from Wake to Notre Dame. It's going to happen a lot. Like Riley Leonard this year is leaving Duke. He's probably going to go to Notre Dame and he's going to go get that $5 million check and increases NFL status. And I think that's great for those guys. But to, I think to one of your earlier points, like that will continue to create the tier two. It's really going to embed that tier two where sure, maybe Leonard goes on a run at Duke for one year and they go to a, they get to the playoffs a thing like that type of a player. Um, but it's not sustainable. Like it's going to be really hard for the Dukes and Stanford's of the world to, to go on extended runs. Like what Stanford just got out of with the Harbaugh D shot decade, the, the fourth most wins in the NCAA over the last decade. It's insane that run. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be really hard moving forward for any of those schools to be able to accomplish at, at that kind of that tier two kind of program level. Unfortunately, yeah, I agree. It's with just you. a money game. Yeah. Well, and the sad thing is I think for most players, the opportunity to go to a top academic school and play big time football is probably closing. Notre Dame likes to hype themselves up, but let's be honest. Uh, Notre Dame's a good school. They're they're probably striking the best balance in terms of maintaining a high athletic uh, profile and a high academic profile at the same time. It's tough to do. I'm not a Notre Dame fan. I did not like going to the game at Stanford there. We were treated horribly as fans. It just whatever. But as an institution, they're doing everything right. And frankly, they were the ones that pulled Stanford into the ACC anyways. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm not a Notre Dame fan, but I respect it. And they're surely performing better on the field than USC, which has gone balls to the wall. Right. Let's throw out all of our integrity to do whatever we can to win football games. And they actually seem to be taking a step backwards here, which it's is true. Uh, funny. Uh, it, yeah, I agree with you 100%. <laughs> <laughs> it's always nice uh, to rub USC fans face in the mud a little bit. <laughs> I actually have USC family. My grandfather was undergrad grad and I grew up a Stanford fan growing up in Palo Alto and love Stanford, but I I feel like they're they've made some wrong moves here. And but it is what it is. Again, it's a precursor to what we're all talking about here. There is going to be this smaller group, whether it's 25 or 40 that are making most of the media dollars in their tier one. And then there's going to be a tier two that's 
that hopefully the Stanford's and Duke's and Northwestern's are part of and Vanderbilt's. And then there's probably the kind of what we see now is like the FBS schools. Yeah, that's fair. And he's going to win another natty at some point over under what, 10, 15 years kind of thing. They'll win one. They're just, they're committed. They just need a a coach. That's the problem is I don't, you probably recall this, but I'm pretty anti Lincoln Riley. Like it's clear he's a great offensive mind. He can recruit players. He can score points, but he's never won an important game at Oklahoma and he had teams to do it. And you see it at USC, like. He's just not, they need a Pete Carroll. They need a, a Nick Saban. They need someone who's just a winner. Urban Meyer would have been a much better hire. Integrity, yeah, like he didn't really have it anyways, but he wins. Everywhere he's been undefeated and won a title, right? Even Bowling Green and, and Utah went undefeated. They just weren't in a position to win a title. Fair. So, I couldn't stomach Urban Meyer within the world of, I just, I can't, whatever. He's just- Look, he's a despicable, I don't know. I'm not <laughs> even going to make a comment on him. I don't know him personally. He's not part of my family, so I don't really care, but- He's an outstanding college football coach, and it's hard to, to, to deny that. I think there's certain people that are good coaches. They need to hire someone like that. And I think maybe they thought they had it with Lincoln and Riley, and he's still young, so maybe I'm off base and he'll eventually yeah. pull I it. think Lincoln's going to be fine. I think he ends up in the league, actually. He smells a lot more like the Kyle Shanahan's of the world, where he is a really, he's a great offensive mind. And I don't, Shanahan's brilliant. I don't know that he'd be a great college Coach, because in college, you're also dealing with alumni, you're dealing with facilities, alumni, and just all this other stuff, as opposed to just focusing on the 53 dudes in the room, it's X's and O's, and I have a great DC that's just going to go have my guys just swarm ass and get after the opposing guy. So it's just- I think Har- it's Harbaugh, a co- Harbaugh, yeah. What's that? Harbaugh misses the NFL because of that as well. Like the college thing is a yeah. lot more like fluffy BS stuff. There's a lot of fluff to it. And the NFL, you got to, you're working much longer hours and everything, but there's just a lot of non-football related activities in college. That's three quarters of it. You're still dealing with administration and alumni and then recruiting trail. And none of that is X's and O's. And I think Lincoln Riley would actually, I think he's going to make a better NFL coach than a college coach. Cause I agree with you. I don't think he's a great, college coach right now he's had a crappy year he's had a great career but i just i think his he's gonna he'll do well in the league i think i could be 100 yeah. wrong well i think but. look i i would paraphrase it though say like he is a he's a winner he consistently wins wherever he's been in college he's only been in oklahoma and usc's but he's not winning the big games and in those programs they're defined by titles not by you win eight fair. games every year so it's super fair yeah, and his defenses have always been terrible. And yeah, 100%. Yeah, 100%. so it'd be interesting. But, and then we didn't get into some of the other lore. But so w- last question before I, I let you go right, here. Uh, on what happens with the, is Stanford back in the PAC conference in 10 years for all the other sports? What happens with the PAC 2 or 12 so conference, think, like you think? So I think if you play this thing out over, give it six more years of things. So again, I think the PAC 2, Oregon State, Washington State are going to band up with, call it, eight of the Mountain West programs and maybe pulling like a, a Tulane, a UTEP would be on the board. Rice would even be on the board because they're in Houston. So like uh, some of those schools, right? Yep. Um, and I think that in, in parallel, so say that happens in 25, 26, I think then in parallel, Florida State at some point is going to get out of the ACC. I don't necessarily see how the money works unless they say we're going to go to Fox if you don't pay up kind of a thing. And North Carolina is in that group. And But anyways, when the ACC does eventually break apart and those top half dozen schools migrate into the top two conferences, I think those remaining ACC schools and that new PAC conference could come up with a pretty interesting alignment. And I think that's where 
Stanford and Cal will then end up playing Oregon State and Washington State again. And I think then if, you know, for instance, if that Pac-10 hold in Tulane, all of a sudden Tulane can be on the East Coast and play some of the East schools. So I, I think like you know, Memphis would probably be in that bucket as well. So I think you could see a national conference at the tier two level that rivals the Big 12, whereas the Big 12 is a lot of land grant state schools that couldn't quite make it to the tier one conferences. And then your Stanford Cal's of the world and Duke and everything are more in this national conference that has is a tier two, but for a different reason. They're not pulling in the $100 million media deal. They're also not willing to pay their players directly. And I think like they're, but they're still going to have some really good teams on an annual basis. And I think that's where that thing lands. So you'd have a 15 to 20 conference team conference that's a little bit nationwide comprised of, you know, BC and, 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 and Oregon State. Actually, and that's, I think that's how that ends up going. I could be, again, 100% wrong, but it smells like that would make sense. And then the, the winner of that conference or can then go to the playoffs. The winner of the Big 12 goes to the playoffs. Maybe each one gets an at large bid. And then the other 10 schools or whatever come out of the top two conferences. You can see something like that working. Yeah. That, it, it seems reasonable, right? And it's more of a, it's because it's a cultural difference and um, of how they want to treat their athletes directly. So I can see that one. It's sorry. I actually thought that's where it was going to go. And I thought Stanford and Cal would not join the ACC right now. I thought that they were going to, after they weren't invited to the Fox North, I figured they would play a kind of a pack four schedule, roughly what Oregon State, Washington State are doing right now, but retain their somewhat of an independence or keep that pack four money coming in and wait for the ACC to implode. And then make that kind of a proposal and pull in San Diego state as well as BC and Virginia and some of those other schools out there, Wake Forest and stuff. And that's where I thought it was going. So my order of operations was totally wrong on that, but I still think that's the target state in call it five years, six years. You figure that ironically, that might've been the right way for Stanford and Cal to go because there's more money near term in that treasure trove of fact two dollars. And they would have preserved that optionality. And then the deal they cut was pretty bad economically, but it was, we've got to save our butts. Right. Uh, but yeah, and- I, I like it. As a fan, I like that we're going to get some of the ACC schools come in here. I think it's obviously for the Olympic sports. Oh, one thing we didn't talk about. Yeah. Just really quickly on it. Yeah, I'm fully supportive of it. We're basically paying 25 million bucks a year to be in the ACC. And I think that's perfectly reasonable because the flip side of Oregon State, Washington State is... They now have to keep their athletic department afloat. They actually are having to get the state involved. They need a $35 million check from the state to keep it afloat. That's a whole different world. And those programs are not going to compete at a high level. And to your next point, I think where you're going is that with San Francisco, there's all the other sports as well. So the ACC was, we should have paid our way in. I'm glad we did. I'm sure we tried to pay our way way into the Fox North scenario and it didn't work. But Notre Dame plus 25 million bucks a year got us into the ACC. I think it's a great landing spot um, for now in an imperfect world. I think, though, that it's just a stepping stone to, again, four or five years from now. Now you have a seat at the table. Now we have relationships with BC and maybe Duke. Duke is a weird one because of their basketball program. But like now we have relationships with those guys. Now we can create this nationwide conference again. We'll be back with Oregon State, Washington State. I, I think that's where it goes. So anyways, sorry, you're going to ask. 
No, uh, the one of the things I was going to go deep on, but what, we're out of time. Would be the uh, Olympic versus non-Olympic. I, you, I've never seen this analyzed this way, but you talked about this is, I think, before they ended up in the ACC. But in in your in the report, you talked about how there's team sports which have a lot of challenge for distance games. Mm -hmm. If I'm in women's soccer, I've got to travel now to the research triangle and Winston Salem and all this stuff. Versus the competition sports like a golf or a gymnastics where they're doing national meets anyways. And it actually doesn't really matter whether right. we're standing. Yeah, it's roughly two thirds of the sports. It actually is overplayed and doesn't really matter to your point. It's like, like things like golf, gymnastics, things like that, which are, they're, they're just big tournaments. And it's just like, ah, they get, they travel one more time a year, but they're not doing like one-on-one -on -one meets nationally. It, it, it does, doesn't work that way. Right. Um, from a, they're. But to your point, like the team sports, like baseball and softball and soccer, soccer or volleyball, those get a little bit trickier. And I haven't seen any scheduling come out on those yet. I'm guessing that they're going to be pairing up teams and creating pods from an, at least in the ACC. Um, Stanford and Cal obviously is a pod. It was in the pack. Um, but I think they're going to have to create pods with both teams, kind of brother, sister sports involved on the same plane um, and figure out the scheduling that way. And I think it'll be, it should be straightforward from like baseball, softball, for most of those sports, ACC and hoops is a little bit different. So I don't know how they're really going to do. I don't know. I'm unfamiliar with how many of those matchups have been scheduled ahead, North Carolina and Duke and Virginia. I mean, these are big programs. Hey, I don't Stanford, know. Hey, in our era, Stanford had a big program in basketball as well. And I, the one thing I one thing I will say about ba basketball is it's uh, obviously from a women's standpoint. I think Stanford's probably one of the Goliaths of ACC. Uh, yeah, yeah. But the top, nice thing about two or three rooms in the country. Yeah, exactly. And but the nice thing about basketball is you don't really. It's not like even in NIL world, Stanford could compete. Let's just say Jerry Yang loves basketball. Like he can go get two great players, and you can round it out with guys that want a really good education, and you can actually be a you could be a Final Four contender and compete for championships. Yeah. Versus football, where it's a lot more difficult. You need 30 dudes and 100%. economics are different. And quite frankly, just Stanford's never had the climate, not just like in terms of the environment, but in terms of the actual like stadium and fan commitment that it's harder to get recruits. Although it's harder. You do need volume. Although the 2013, 14, 15, 16 seasons, those were super fun. Stanford Stadium was rocking at that. Not like it was, LSU. It, it was, I agree with it was you. Fun, though. I agree. It's like awesome. certain games. Well, first off, Stanford's always been fun. Like I, I grew up going there as a kid. So I, it's always been fun in my opinion, but we've consistently lost. So I always tell a story. It was, I think it was late October, early November, sprinkling that day. Stanford was number two in the country, undefeated. It was Landry Lux last year. We played Washington State. So a Pac-12 game. And I believe the announced attendance was like 14,000. And that tells you all you need to know. You have player of the year, candidate, yeah. like favorite at the time, because RG3 was like taken off, but hadn't fully taken off. You have a undefeated team in a conference game. I was there and- I think that told me a lot about where the state of things were. It's just people just don't, a guy we both know, an Oregon grad plays in fantasy football and been in the shoe business. He always talks about, everyone around here just wants to code and play volleyball. And it's just <laughs> hard to get people to be really bought in on college football. And so for every person like you and I, who like, we're going to the games, we care, we're excited. We know the recruits that are coming in. The vast majority of the alums are like, it, they could take it or leave it. And I, yeah, I think super I, I know a lot of people have season tickets and don't even go to most of the games. It's nothing against Stanford. Stanford's great, and, but part of it's also small alumni.
there's not as many. It's a small, it's a small school. Um, and most of the, to your point, most of the folks in that school as an undergrad are not football focused. They're focused on, there's a whole bunch of other interests that are going across that campus. And it's a, yeah, hundred percent spot on. Whereas like hoops, Maples has, there There were eras where Maples was sold out and Maples was rocking. Rocking. Yeah, I was going to say, our era, it was amazing. The six-man club and- Dude, yeah. Floor would rock and- and we had oh, great so teams. Fun. I think right after you graduated, we did Final Four. I know because I had already yeah. graduated. It was 98. Yeah, yeah. We had, but still went to San Antonio. Yeah, we road tripped over there. It was awesome. That yeah. was, so was it's there. But Prasha, it was great having you on. I love getting your takes on this stuff. I'm, I love, look, we're, we're fans. It's going to be an exciting, I think this stuff's going to happen fast, by the way. I, I think 10 years, I think it's all going to be figured out or at least the mo- most of the change because I just think NIL is, you're seeing it happen overnight. And particularly with programs that have a lot of history and a lot of booster backing where the coaches are complaining, I don't know if we can afford that portal guy or we're losing good guys. And that's when you start realizing, okay, this is really happening fast and it's breaking down. Um, Saban's complaining about it. If Saban's complaining. But he's always, Saban is always talking through the media to his alumni donors. He's a master at that stuff. Yeah, no, I hear you though. It is moving fast. I don't think that, I think it moved so fast that they don't even have guardrails up. I think, but some of those things, as those conferences, those two conferences basically take control of their own destiny a little bit more and the NCAA gets smaller and smaller in terms of its power. I think like some of those guardrails will get set up and the transfers are going to go down and try to stabilize some of this stuff. Um, and and I, the money will flow freely. Again, I think like those things are the liability and health benefits and things like that are just... There's the devils in the details in some of this stuff, and nobody is talking about any of that. And are they contractors? Are they employees? Are they what are they like? They're student athletes. Come on. <laughs> right. I just yeah. Caleb was like the fifth highest salary, not salary, but he made the fifth most money on USC's campus, like along with like obviously Lincoln Riley and like the president and two other professors. And that's it. Like he was number five. It's, what? I'm actually, I'm actually surprised he wasn't second. Person. It's fair. But <laughs> this is, but when you think about that, then you overlay that to the schools like a Stanford, for instance, that sure Bronny James isn't up like, there too. <laughs> yeah. Good call. Good call. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a different world, and and Caleb Williams is worth it. He's dude, he's awesome, and he's I mean, just he's awesome. He's I, awesome. I, yeah, he's awesome, and and he put butts and seats. He TV. That's what to me. This all comes down to. There's an alignment. We all talked about it now for the last hour, but there's an alignment where the TV networks and the people or the streamers or whoever's paying the bills are going to basically say, "I want these schools, I want this stuff," and I think. And then they're ultimately paying the salaries indirectly. I think boost, boosters help. Don't get me wrong. You know that world better than I do, but I think it, there's a limit to that. And I think ultimately uh, the consistency of the payroll will be determined based on what the school is pulling in. And they're not going to want to be at the same level as like their conference brethren who are much smaller. I think Notre Dame actually is probably in the best position here because they're in the ACC for all the sports that don't really make a lot of money and they're independent in football and been reaping the benefit for a long time. So- Anyhow, we'll see how it plays out, but great. Yeah. Thanks crotch for doing this. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, man. I'm happy to just chat. It was fun. We will, we will do this again soon. All right. Before we leave, let me tell you a little something. Uptown funk you up. Uptown funk you up. Uptown funk you up. Uptown funk you up. I said uptown.